welcome Carl Landau. He was certainly aware of your days at Niche Media, how you've sold that uh, business and your grand poobah, <laughs> and very involved with Pickleball. I'm looking forward to being on your podcast, but this podcast, I've got first chair and I'm going to interact with you about the sports car niche. In fact, there's niches within that niche. Mm-hmm. You're aware of the category, but you're not deep into sports card collecting, but you've had some touch points. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what I can learn and what my listeners can learn about niche media over the years, how it's evolving. Mm-hmm. And uh, my company was acquired. Your company was acquired. I think 2021 is going to be another year of acquisition that may impact our sports card industry as well. So welcome, Carl Landau, and amplify a little bit about your background and what you're excited about in this uh, season of your life. Anyway, Dr. Beckett, thank you very much. I told my wife this morning, I was really excited about being on a pretty big sports fan and a pretty big fan of your brand. I was a magazine publisher. I started my own magazine when I was 26 in San Francisco. It was a magazine for software developers. So this is like in the early 80s. The year I started my computer magazine, 80 computer magazines went out of business because like any of those laptops that started, they would have a whole magazine for that brand. Remember Time Sinclair and all those goofy different kinds of computers. That's when I started my business when 80 magazines failed and people are like, what are you doing? But I explained to them this whole idea of niche and that our magazine was specifically for software people. When everyone had it wrong, they thought if you had an IBM, you had to read a magazine about IBM. And I was able to figure that out pretty early. And the other magazines around them were really big magazines like Byte Magazine, which covered the whole computer industry. When they would cover software development, just a little tiny part. So we went after that little tiny part and destroyed them. That's what I've always done is taken an industry and gone for an area that I thought was growing and and niche it out and niche out the sponsorship because it's just so much more cost effective to reach your this primary audience as opposed to why do I have to you know hit all this general audience. I started the first magazine about artificial intelligence. It was the early days of that. Then I started a conference trade show specifically for software development and I fell in love with putting on live events at that point. Live events, you sold your company a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pre-COVID, which right. is probably fortunate. But were you in a situation where you'd already moved somewhat into uh, a hybrid model of shows? Because in our industry, there have been some virtual events now. Mm-hmm. When we go back to live events, there may still be a virtual component. Were you seeing that coming as well? It depended what that industry was. I, I totally got out of the you know high-tech industry and sold that to a big publisher. That was my first company. If you had a business that was for like a high-tech industry, they were totally averse to doing virtual things because these were technology people. But it, it totally depended what industry you were. I was never a big proponent of the virtual events because for me, we really focused a lot on the networking side of it. And one of the things in pandemic that really bothers us all that we don't have this contact with other people. But I do agree with you. People are much more used to these events virtually. And I would see a hybrid because it does appeal to certain people. Okay. Another related question to that. Basically, you and I were publishers Mm -hmm. around the same time. And publishing meant a relationship with readers. Now there's advertisers and other things, but you have to have readers. But nowadays in the virtual digital world, people have a choice. Would they prefer to read something, which Mm -hmm. could be print, it could be blog, or would they prefer to listen to something? Or would they prefer to watch something? And as you've said in the trade show aspect, they'd rather participate. They'd rather be there. They'd rather be face-to-face. 
have you made a determination based on the niche of the way people interact or whether they would rather watch or read or listen? Is that, can that be scientifically figured out? Because we're in a very visual industry here, and yet I have an audio podcast. I think what the approach most publishers are doing is doing it all. I, you pretty much have to, and it's not very expensive to do it all. They'll have a print version, and then they will have an online version of the publication. Many of them have virtual events, they have live events, and a lot of them actually have podcasts. You have to give every sort of vehicle possible for people, for the audience to connect. And it doesn't cost very much money to do all the online stuff, but I don't have a scientific proof on what's working for each industry. But I, I think within those industries, it's probably not that hard to figure out where your numbers are coming from. Speaking of numbers, because again, you were not just a publisher, but you consulted and advised and helped publishers in niche media. It seems to me every niche could be different, mm -hmm. but there are probably some principles you learned about who has the power in the niche. Is it the public, the people, the readers, the listeners, the, the participants, or is it the advertisers, or mm -hmm. is it the editors and publishers? Who really who has the power and who can step on the gas or step on the brakes uh, most effectively. What were you looking for an ideal niche? What were the, the pressure points that you thought, at least of those three, where you could make a difference? I think the person in control always is the reader or the audience listener. So I mean, if you're smart, you're going to figure out where that market is and you're going to come up with a vehicle for them. To me, they are always number one. If you're controlled by the sponsors, good luck to you because they're going to go in a direction you may not want to go into. They may go in a direction the audience isn't interested in. But once again, you obviously need to have this partnership with the sponsors. As the publisher's guiding these two sides, what does the reader or the listener want first? And find sponsors that are interested in that audience and work with them and give them incredible access to that audience. I'm always a fan of following what the audience wants. That's affirming. Yeah. <laughs> 36 years ago, when I started the magazine, it was without ads. So mm -hmm. I tried to build the audience. And it turned out that it wasn't that the uh, audience didn't want ads. At some point, they wanted ads that were relative to things they were interested in. And so we gave them those. But then we had an audience that we could deliver that was reliable. Mm -hmm. okay, another tricky question for you that okay. may apply to other niches as, as well as ours. In the political discourse, if you get to the far right or maybe to the far left, and I don't want to take this in a political way, mm -hmm. there's such a thing as Illuminati, okay? The enlightened ones, the ones that sit above everything and pull the, the puppet strings. I'm not going into the political aspect of that, but it seems to me in every industry, mm -hmm. there are some individuals that have outsized influence. Now there's influencers on the social media, but there are just some people that are in the know, mm -hmm. that are one step ahead. Carl, in your experience, does that happen? Is that a common thing? Yes. Because I don't know if they're always identified, but when somebody says jump or makes the first move, a lot of followers. So yeah. have you seen that? Absolutely. Whenever we would start in a new industry or a new segment within the industry, you identify who that influential group is and really go after them. If you can get their uh, endorsement, then people follow. Like uh, our second issue of Computer Language, we interviewed this guy named Bill Gates, and he actually was a programmer. And he loved our magazine and loved what we were doing. And I actually asked him, hey, I'm thinking about doing an event. Would you ever consider speaking at that event when I was visiting Bill Gates? And he said, absolutely. And two years later, I started that and contacted his assistant and reminded him. And he was my first keynote speaker at our event. Dr. Beckett, my career has gone downhill <laughs> ever since once you have Bill Gates as your keynote. 
We're not connecting him to the Illuminati, <laughs> but again, it's not just because I don't think he was not a man of great wealth at that time. No, but he, he certainly did a lot of right things, and it's yeah, but, really worth following too. Yeah, but also on the flip side, definitely on the sponsor side. That's important too. I'm sure in your business it's the same way. If you could convince the top two, three whales in that industry that this is the place you need to be and people follow. It's both on the audience side and also on the sponsorship side, identifying who those influential companies are that are, as you said, they're the, the innovators that are thinking of the future and, and they have a lot of influence. You want those people on board. I hear you. One other thing about our industry, and I'm wondering if it's true of some of these other niches, but it, it seems like every niche has to have enough complexity to keep people interested. It, the passion comes from the fact that it's not so simple. You've got to really jump in with both feet. I talk about the long tail on my podcast, that there's so many cards, you could never get them all. Mm -hmm. That pursuit, though, is of interest. That's probably similar to every other niche. You, you, if you're into hunting and fishing, you have a, a bucket list, or, or, or if you're a programmer or a, a wine enthusiast, you could never taste every wine. So that's what you want is uh, a complicated marketplace. My last venture, Niche Media, we were serving publishers. Once 2000 hit, print was not that bigger component or becoming less important. So that was great in our industry where we have to teach you how you're going to generate revenue in this new way of making videos and having webinars and the social media component of it. And so that's what you're looking for, at least as a publisher, is this industry getting more complex and more difficult. That actually is to your advantage because people really need to look at you as this expert that's going to help you. And, and our, our role as a publisher always is bringing the experts together and trying to figure out where the future is. But that's at odds sometimes with acquisitions. If a larger entity purchases one of these niche publications or whatever the, the enterprise would be, one of their first things to do sometimes, which I think is wrong, is to consolidate right. or to simplify right. or to scrutinize or right. institutionalize, and they're going to lose the charm. Would you agree with that? Totally. What, what we would always do, I would totally agree with that. And our success was always niching our niche. So we would take something that was successful. Like, for example, we were the company that publishers would follow. And then I started events just for publishers, not for editors, not for graphic designers. And it was all revenue generating. So really niche. And then within that niche, like I started a niche CEO summit. So this was only for CEOs to attend. It was a very small event, 50 CEOs. The sponsorship opportunities on that were incredible. If you could get in front of, for two days, 50 CEOs, if you're a sponsor, you can charge pretty much whatever you want. So I was always looking at our successful niches and what can I do within that niche? So going smaller. I agree. What I found, which was a, a, a big success point for our company, is that once we established that we had a, a a close relationship connection with the baseball card collectors. When we started a football card separate magazine, mm -hmm. uh, people said, I know what that's going to look like, but this is just for me if I'm a football and then basketball and hockey and all that. But nowadays there's this an enterprising young man who has started a an e-magazine that mm -hmm. I think is terrific just for basketball card collectors. Mm -hmm. I was on another show and I just said, since that works, shouldn't baseball and football and hockey be next? Because yeah. once that niche is proven out that these adjacent opportunities become, I think, pretty evident. At least that, that's my entrepreneurial bent to see that, wow, if that works, well, then this other thing will work. Whether you're going deeper within the niche, dividing and conquering, or saying, if that works for this, then this is almost the same, slightly different audience, but we've got the formula down. Same thing. 
Yeah, no, I, that sounds interesting. Oh, of course, once they figure out how to niche like that basketball audience, I, I assume what you're saying is they can go to other sports and and, yeah. and do that niching out. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd want to because basketball is really hot right now. I know in five years, who knows? So you better have four or five other markets. Yeah, but, but some of the conventional wisdom in the old days was, okay, mm-hmm. you got that for bad. Let's add some more stuff to it and beef up the circulation. And what you're proving and what I have stood for as well is it's more the quality of your circulation than the quantity of your circulation. It's nice to have both. Yeah. <laughs> and I get, yeah. Uh, yeah. But advertisers, if it's bigger quantity of circulation, it's not helpful. You, your rates have to go down. Anyway, Carl, I hope you've had as much fun in your career as I've had in mine, because I think most niches are enthusiast-based. So there's already a built-in passion there. I saw some of the titles that you drew your own and things like mm-hmm. that. I mentioned you have the same circumstance I have where you're talking to people. What do you do or what did you used to do? Which right. is actually the name of your podcast. But tell the readers, uh, I mean, the listeners about your podcast. I feel very fortunate. I was at the very early stages of what we called microcomputers. I was at the very early stages of craft brewing. And that was a lot of fun. So that was similar to you where everyone wanted to get involved. It was a, a fun industry. And then I was niching out publications and helping those publishers. What I'm doing now is after I sold my business about a year and a half ago, I started a podcast and it's called I Used to Be Somebody. And it's a great podcast for primarily baby boomers that had successful careers Now they sold their companies or they've retired from that corporate life and they're trying to figure out what they want to do next. It seems really simple what to do, but particularly when you've had a big time career, a lot of your self-worth and a lot of who you are was that business. What are you going to do now? So it's a weekly podcast for those people. And I'm having a blast doing it. Although I, I don't work nearly as hard as you. I only have a once a week podcast and you're on like five times, it seems. So anyway, I really admire what you're doing. I'm going to go on your podcast and I'm just going to tell them all they need to do is get into sports cards <laughs> because it's a hobby that can be rewarding financially as well as just the enjoyment. Again, if you don't love sports, perhaps not. But if you love sports and so many people are jumping in and so it can be a post-retirement side gig. So I will pitch that to your audience when I get the chance when I'm on your show. So Carl Landau, thanks for sharing your wisdom and your experience with us. I'll be back again tomorrow with another episode.